Amen. Well, thanks for coming back. It's encouraging. I walked in about uh, 6 o'clock, and I thought, I must have really blown it last week. There was no one here, so I'm glad. You know, I've got I to tell you, I love, um, you, may have, you may have noticed this, I do love to preach. It's, uh, I don't know if it's evident when I preach, but I love to do it. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, I love to prepare to preach. I love what I did today, which is to sit before the Word of God and say, God, you got to show me something. I don't just need a sermon. I need a word for this people. Uh, God's not just called me to preach. He's called me to pastor. And part of that is I preach to you. I don't just preach. I preach to you. And so I love hearing what the Lord has to say to us and following him in that. But I got to tell you, just apart from that, I love doing this. This is fun. I love just being able to open the word together, just to talk together in a setting like this. So thanks for coming. It's, uh, it's really enjoyable. So take your Bible, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, as we're talking about uh, what it looks like to live on mission. Now remember, I said this last week, we're not talking this summer about what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we talked about that last summer. You may or may not have been here, but the what is this. We have been called to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. That's our mission. Very simply, we do nothing else but lead people to trust and follow Jesus. And that's a holistic mission. I say that a lot, meaning that if we encounter a person that has never heard about the name of Jesus Christ, our mission is this. We want to lead them to trust and follow Jesus. And if we encounter someone who's been following the Lord for 50 years, our mission is the same. We want to keep leading them to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. So that's the what. We want to talk about the how. We really want to spend these four weeks together thinking a little practically on how you can not just make evangelism an event, but are really a part of your normal life. And we've said there's going to be four parts to this, all right? Uh, to live among unbelievers, to be distinct from unbelievers, to intercede for unbelievers, and then declare to unbelievers. And that's our four weeks. So last week was living among, uh, meaning... You have to have a context in which you're in consistent relationship with unbelievers with the specific purpose, knowing that God has put you there to lead them to Christ. That's it. Uh, some of you, that's easy. Some of you are around unbelievers all the time. For some of you, that's a challenge, and you've got to work at that. You've got to find a way to get around unbelievers. But it's not just being around unbelievers. It's living among them for the purpose of leading them to Christ. So living among, and uh, the next thing we're going to look at tonight is this, is being distinct from being distinct from. I mentioned this a little last week, but uh, when I graduated from college, I uh, went overseas to Slovakia, where I lived for two and a half uh, years. And one of the reasons, there was many parts of my job there, but one of the reasons they brought me over is because their primary evangelistic ministry in Slovakia was to do English youth camps. And so what they would do is they would have teachers uh, in public schools all over, and then they would invite them to these English camps where they would say there's going to be a lot of Americans there. And I know it doesn't sound exciting to you, but it was, this is a big deal to them. Uh, uh, there are all these American students are going to be there, and they want to hang out with you for a week. And so we would put all of these completely lost Slovak students into a camp really far away from anywhere so they couldn't leave. And we would lock them in, and we would just have a great time for seven days, okay? Now, the way in which this worked is that we would get them there, uh, they would be living among us and then hopefully with being distinct from and interceding for and declaring to uh, that many of them might come to Christ. But one of the reasons they asked me to come over is because the summer before I got there, they had a really pretty unfortunate experience. They had a youth group from the States 
come over uh, to be a part of these camps. And so for two weeks, uh, they would come to two different camps and live among the students. The problem is, is this youth group brought a ton of people who had no understanding of what the purpose of the trip was and no desire to be involved in this trip. They just wanted to go overseas, which unfortunately happens a lot in short-term mission trips. And it was realized fairly quickly that most of these people who had come from the States as a part of this youth group did not know the Lord. Which, when the whole goal is to get lost people in contact with saved people, to be distinct from them, but yet your saved people aren't saved people, that's a problem, right? That, that kind of messes up the whole purpose of the camp. This is the honest truth. At the end of that week, five of the American students came to Christ. <laughs> Which, praise God, that just really was not the point and, uh, and messed up everything. Uh, and uh, so they called me over to do a little bit more vetting process as I, part of my responsibility was to help make sure these groups that were coming over were prepared. But it's just a reminder of living among unbelievers without being distinct from unbelievers does no good. Does no good. Living among them without there being something distinct about your life undermines everything God wants to do. It's the Matthew 5, 16 principle, right? That your light may shine so that they may see your good works and glorify God who's in heaven. By the way, they cannot see your good works unless they're living among you. So that's assumed. You're living among them and they're seeing your good works. But then once they're living among, they have to see something. There has to be some works, something overtly obvious about your life that causes them to notice and give glory to the Lord. And so for some of you, here tonight that may live a lot among unbelievers. This is a very important thing to talk about because it is possible to live among them but not be distinct from them. There needs to be something overtly distinct about your life. And I think uh, 1 Peter 2 gives us a really great example of that. So uh, Peter is writing uh, to believers who are suffering severely. And he is encouraging them, he is exhorting them, he is reminding them of who they are. Uh, one of Peter's primary uh, goals in this book is to give them a reminder of who they are and what Jesus has done from them. They are in a culture that opposes them, uh, that hates them, and so uh, they are really suffering. And so he wants to encourage them in this whole book. That's the whole point of chapter one. And then in chapter two, he starts to give them some more instruction. And what I want to focus on tonight is verses nine through 12, in which he does two specific things. He reminds them and exhorts them. He gives them one reminder and one exhortation. Here's who you are, and here's what you need to be doing as a result of that. So look at me at 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. Here's what he says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, it's the second time he says you are, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And here is very similar to Matthew 5, 16. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you see a distinction here, this uh, distinction between reminder and exhortation. So the reminder is really there at the beginning of verse nine. Here's who you are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. That, and here's the purpose of that. God has made you into this so that you might do this. That you may proclaim. And then he says in verse 11, so I urge you, and here's part of that exhortation, 
as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war and then keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So two parts, a reminder and an exhortation. The reminder is this. The reminder is very simply, you are the people of God. It sounds simple, but you are the people of God. Let's look at the words he uses uh, to describe this. And I think what you'll realize is what he's saying is not simply you are the people of God, but you are the distinct people of God. That you are unique from every other people in all of the earth. He uses four terms. The first one is a chosen race. Second, a royal priesthood. Third, a holy nation and a people for his own possession. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, particularly the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the, the Bible, then you'll know this, that all of those terms are deeply rooted in the Old Testament. And here's the reason that's important. is because Peter is using Old Testament terms to remind New Testament believers of who they are, showing us that God's purpose has always been the same. It's always been the same. God's purpose has always been to choose a people for himself, to bring them out, to make them different from everyone else, so that in doing so, everyone else might see their distinction and would glorify God. That has always been God's purpose. In Genesis chapter 12, that's the purpose. Abraham, I'm calling you out and I'm making a covenant. You're gonna be a great nation. He's making them into a new identifiable group of people. I'm gonna call you out. I'm choosing you out from among, not because you're good, not because of anything special, because simply I've, I've chosen you and I'm, I'm pulling you out and then I'm gonna make you distinct. And God's purpose has always been to have a people for his own possession that look unlike any other people in all of the world. Always been God's plan. And so Peter is simply reminding them, listen, the plan that God has always had is the plan that God still has now. The first one he says is this, you are a chosen race. Now, I do think it's important to read some of these in context. And so a chosen race comes from Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 6 and following. Listen to what Moses says, or the Lord says through Moses. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. That means set apart, holy. You're distinct, you're set apart. There it is right there. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It's not because you were more in number than any other people the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I have called you out. You are a chosen race. What does that mean is God has called you out from among the rest of the people. You are a part of the chosen people of God. This is, um, I love how Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter one. Because in Ephesians, he's writing to a bunch of Gentiles who are a little concerned that they might not get on all the blessings that belong to the people of God because they're not Jews. And they believe that because there's a bunch of Judaizers who were saying to them, you don't get in on all the blessings because you're not a Jew. And so they're worried about this. And all Paul does in Ephesians 1 is says, no, 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 listen. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you're a part of the people of Christ, every blessing in the heavenly places is yours. You are then a part of the chosen people of God. You have the full right to all the inheritance of the people of God. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Everyone is in Christ is a part of the chosen people of God. You say, well, how do I know if I'm a part of the chosen people of God? Are you in Christ? 
If you're in Christ, you're a part of the chosen people of God. That's what he's saying there. He's saying to the Ephesians, no, listen, you don't understand. Listen, everyone in Christ is the chosen people. And so he's saying to you as New Testament believers, do you know that because God loved you, he has called you out from the world and made you a part of his chosen people, his own possession. That should stir something up in your heart. He says you are a chosen race. Look what he says next. You are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. That's in Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read that for you as well. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. It says this. You yourselves have seen, and this is, by the way, right before they get the Ten Commandments, right after uh, they have uh, come across the Red Sea. So God has basically said, I'm saving you And I'm about to give you the law. And by the way, the reason it's important that Exodus 19 comes before Exodus 20 is because in Exodus 19, he's saying, I've already saved you. And then in Exodus 20, he gives the law, making sure we understand we don't get saved by the law. We get saved and then we're obedient to the law. So he says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That is That's a beautiful word picture, isn't it? I bore you on eagle's wings and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, listen to these words, my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I bore you on eagle's wings. I I brought you to myself. You are my people and you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. A royal priesthood meaning this. You are a people set apart. It's a part of the priesthood, right? You've been set apart and you have access to me. You're set apart, you have access to me. So I have brought you to myself to make you a set apart people who have a relationship and access to me. You are a royal priesthood. So Peter says to you, to New Testament believers, you're a chosen race, God has called you out, brought you to himself. You're a royal priesthood, meaning he has set you apart for a specific purpose and has given you direct access to him. You don't have to go through a priest, why? Because you're a royal priesthood. We believe in the priesthood of the believers. You don't have to go a priest to go to God. Uh, You can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. So he says you are a royal priesthood. And he says there again in verse 9, a holy nation, a group of people set apart from the rest of the nations in his kingdom. God is creating a new people, a holy, a set apart people of God, a holy nation. So he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priest, and a holy nation. And he says here at the last, look at that, and a people for his own possession. It is important to remember that you have been saved. This is Ephesians 2.10. You have been saved by him, and you have also been saved for him. For him. By him and for him. He has saved you for himself. In every one of those Old Testament passages we read, There's this consistent theme that I wanted you and I saved you for myself. I want you. You're my people. God is jealous for his people, a people for his own possession. God has his own people. Unlike all the rest of the people of the earth, and he's always had his own people. He is still creating a people for himself. Every time someone gets saved, he is bringing them into the part of the the chosen people of God, his own people for his own possession. And just imagine what this did 
to a suffering church that Peter was writing to. See, listen, I know it's hard, and I know you feel as if everyone is against you, and I know it feels if that you're small in number and your resources are insignificant, but just know this. My people's number has always been small, and in contrast to everyone, their possessions have always seemed insignificant, but it doesn't matter because you're my people, and I chose you, and I've set you apart, and you belong to me, Therefore, every resource I have belongs to you. Every blessing in the heavenly places, it's all yours. It's all yours. Everything is yours. So he starts with this encouragement. So why don't I get these shouts on Sunday morning? Why do I get them? If you can do it in here, you can do it on. You know, someone said to me the other day, they said, Pastor, if you keep preaching like that, I'm going to start shouting. I said, well, I'm not stopping you. If you feel like shouting, shout, all right? The people around you might give you a condescending look, but I won't. I love it. So what, what, what Peter is doing is he's just reminding them at the very beginning, here is who you are. And here's the reason, because Peter gets it. Peter gets that the way it has always worked for us is this, is that what we do has to flow out of who we are. That's it. This is why you have Exodus 19, Exodus 20. Here's who you are. Now be obedient to the law. You are something first. And as a result of who you are, this is what you do. It's not if you do this, you will become this. No, 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 no. You are this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. This is who you are. So he starts with this encouragement, reminding them, here is who you are. You have been saved specifically so that you might be a distinct people. I mean, every one of those terms, every one of those terms is communicating this. You have been called out to be separate, to look different. You are, by your very calling as a believer, a set apart people. So now here's what he's going to say. If God has called you out from everyone else, if he has set you apart, if he's making you a holy nation, now act like it. That's what Peter's going to say. I think I said Paul. That's what Peter's going to say. Here's who you are. Now start acting like it. This is what he does in Matthew 5. He always does this. The whole, I mentioned Ephesians before, most of Paul's books are written, the whole book with this. Ephesians 1 through 3, here's who you are. Ephesians 4 through 6, now walk like it. He actually says in Ephesians 1, 4, you have been called by God, and then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, now walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You're called, now act like it. Walk like it. He doesn't start with here's what you need to do, he starts with here's who you are. That's really important. We miss that a lot. Because if you start with here's what you need to do, then what you're doing is not flowing out of of who you are. So he just says from the very beginning, do you understand that everything about you and everything about the reason which you've been saved is so that God could pull you out and make you distinct? So the reminder is this, you are my people, a distinct people. The exhortation is this, live like a distinct people. That's when he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And let me just just remind you, proclaim is a word that communicates verbal expression. You've got to let your light so shine that they see your good works, absolutely. Uh, But they also have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this every week. We're going to spend one whole week focused on this. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you have not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And look at verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, that word urge, does anybody have a different word? This is the English Standard Version. Implore, beg, anybody else? Urge, beg, beseech. That's a good one right there, beseech. I grew up, I grew up with beseech. Uh, you did too, yeah. Uh, urge. So uh, I love this word. Um, I have a, you may not, I, I have a book coming out on preaching in October. And the entire book is written about that word right there. It's a word that means to plead, to beg, to exhort. And it's one of the things I think is missing in a lot of common preaching. We don't just preach just for application. We preach to say, here's what God says, now do it. (laughs) That's exhorting, right? Applying is saying, let me tell you three ways that you could do something with this. Exhorting is saying, this is what God says. Now, in obedience to God's word, God has spoken, now walk in it. I think part of my gifting, what I love, I love exhortation. And what he's using here, the word beg is a very good translation of that because it's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, I beg you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. What Peter is saying to the church is this. Listen, God has done incredible things in your life. He he chose you. (laughs) He saved you. He brought you out. And he brought you and made you a part of his people. And the whole purpose of this people is that they might display the glory of, of Christ. So I'm begging you, I'm begging you to live like that. And he says you do that in, in two ways, kind of a, a negative and a positive. You do that by abstaining from certain things and you do that by doing certain things. You will do that with your external life and your internal life. And he says, look at this, the first one is this. He says, so abstain, I urge you. A sojourners and exiles, meaning you live here, but you don't belong here. Why? Because you're a part of another nation. You don't belong here, so don't live like you belong here. Um, well, there's a whole sermon in there, too, isn't there? Don't, don't live like you belong here. You don't belong here. I urge you as sojourners and exiles here to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I was thinking about this a lot today. I, I, let's, just, let's camp out here for just a minute. So he says, one of the ways to be distinct is to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I think there's two parts to that. One obvious, one not so obvious. Okay, if you're with me, say amen. Um, The obvious one is this. If you're not abstaining from the works of the flesh, then people know that. (laughs) You just, right? If you're indulging in all the desires of the flesh, it's impossible externally to be distinct. So we just, that's a very simple thing, okay? We know that. If you're uh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, you can't be distinct. I think there's a more subtle part of this, and it's this. If you're indulging in the desires of the flesh, even if no one else knows it but you, what's happening is this. Your affection for Christ, your passion for Christ, your love for Christ, your fervor for Christ is all being diminished meaning it's just impossible for you to be passionate about Jesus in front of other people. There's an internal aspect of this that we often neglect. We often think, well, yeah, I know, in front, of, in front of everyone else. No, what I wanna say to you is this. Even if there's indulging of the flesh in a way that no one else sees but you, it's still impossible to be distinct because what you're doing is you're quenching the Spirit's fire. You're putting out the fire of the Spirit. And it's the fire of the Spirit of God that is gonna make you distinct. This is not just about what people see. 
One of the subtleties of sin is the countless ways in which it's affecting you and no one really, even yourself, you don't really see the implications of what that sin is doing to you. But I'll just tell you this. It's impossible for you to be passionate, fired up, red hot for Jesus if you're indulging the desires of the flesh. And it just keeps you from being obviously, overtly, conspicuously Christian person. So he says, abstain from the desires of the flesh. And then, then he says this. And then verse 12 is kind of the more positive aspect. So, and then keep your conduct among the Gentiles. By the way, if you're gonna have conduct among them, you have to live, see? We're getting someplace here. Live among them. Keep it honorable. Keep it, keep it right. Keep it above board. Keep it honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. They might be able to say all kinds of things about you, but you don't want them to be able to, to say that you're an evildoer, and they won't be able to if your conduct is honorable. So this is, this is what he's saying, this idea of keeping your behavior excellent, this intentional, outward, obvious works of the Lord. And this is the Matthew 5, right? Let your light so shine so that they see your good works. There's obvious things that they're seeing. This uh, is John 14. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So it's both things you're doing among each other and things you're doing among the lost that make you distinct. So what he's saying is this. If you wanna live distinct, you gotta stop walking in immorality. You've got to be holy and pure. And then you have to take steps to actively engage in good works in the context in which other people can see it. You know, I, I think one of the things that's hard for us sometimes, um, and I'm saying this as someone next Sunday, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, is going to implore you, beg you, exhort you uh, to find an area of service within the church. We're going to two services. I don't this guy's not here tonight. I don't, know how, I don't know how many we identified. I think we identified like 380 spots we need filled before we go to two services. Everybody's gotta have a job, okay? I just wanna make sure you understand that that job in the church doing those things does not take the place of the jobs you're doing out there among unbelievers. You know, I, I had someone say like this, like the stuff we do here, that's just like the chores, like the chores around the house. Like you gotta do those things, but that's not work, right? There's work and then there's chores, right? I think part of that is this, like we wanna love on each other. There's stuff we gotta do internally, but I just wanna make sure that you know you, you've gotta be a part of the body of Christ and engage. We're a family, so like I say sometimes, you can't have everybody working while you're sitting on the couch. We gotta have everybody having an identifiable area of service on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, in the church, but that's just, that's just kind of what we do. The other side of that is then the works you're doing outside of the church, actively engaging, displaying, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't, know, I don't know how to solve this, but I feel like sometimes we keep you so busy here, we make you think, well, that's it, I've done that, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've done my stuff. Um, and I'm just praying the Lord would help us find a way to be very engaged here because we need to. God's growing the church and praise God and we need every single person to be able to say, here's exactly where I'm serving. And you got it, I can ask you, everybody can ask you, you got a place. But then realizing, well, that you haven't checked it off. Then we leave here and we go out and we do good works among unbelievers. So this is the idea of, of being distinct from, distinct from unbelievers, abstaining and displaying, going together to make a distinct life, because that's who you are. At your very core, God has called you for that purpose. So 
I just, I just want you to reflect tonight a little bit on the idea of, is there a context in which Matthew 5, 17, 1 Peter 2 is happening? You're living among unbelievers and they're seeing in your life, because the things you're not doing and the things you are doing, that there's really something distinct about you. I think for some of you, the application is going to be, I gotta get more around lost people and be doing more good things. Others of you might be saying, I'm around lost people all the time. I just need to make sure it's overtly clear to everyone. I'm a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood. I am a distinct follower of Jesus Christ. They shouldn't have to wonder about this. It should be very obvious uh, to all of them. So I want us to kind of take some time like we did last week. We've got about uh, 10 minutes here or so. I, I, I think I, I like to do stuff on Wednesday night we can't do, particularly on Sunday morning. And uh, this may be uncomfortable for some of you. If it is, that's okay. It's probably good for you to be a little uncomfortable. But uh, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, you don't have to do it. But uh, last week I had you turn uh, to those around you, just a couple, two or three people, and talk about living among who are some lost people you're around and let's pray for them. Uh, what I want us to do tonight is just kind of some similar thing. You know, what part of this that we've talked about tonight is, is challenging for you? Uh, are there contexts in which you're living distinct and how, how can you be? I, I want you to not do small talk. I want you to just jump in and engage in this. What are ways in which you can be more distinct from those around you? I think about this just in, in, uh, in our neighborhood or wherever it is, context you're among unbelievers. And then I want you to just pray. And then here in about 10 minutes or maybe a little less than that, I'll close this out tonight uh, with some final uh, parting words. So turn to a couple people around you, talk about what it means to be distinct, what that looks like practically in your life, what's some application, what's something the Lord said to you. Pray. Uh, you can either pray for each other or just stop and pray for yourself. Uh, each of you pray if you're comfortable doing that, and then I'll close this with prayer in a minute. Sound good? All right, go for it. I know some of you are still talking, but uh, I figure if I closed this in prayer, you could keep talking afterwards, but if you were done talking, you could leave. Um, listen, one of the things we were talking about in our group, I want to say this, and then I'll, I'll close in prayer, is that, um, you know, in the workplace, there's, it's often uh, difficult uh, to just constantly be talking to others about Christ, right? There's so many things about that. One of the things we were talking about is, what if as on a regular basis, instead of just always talking to others about Christ, you were talking about what Jesus is doing in your life? Uh, I, I do think we were saying how if, if something great happened, if we were talking to each other, we would say, man, God did the neatest thing. If we were talking to an unbeliever at work, we would say, the neatest thing happened. But living with that unhindered speech of just talking openly about what Jesus is doing in your life. Here's what God's doing. Can I tell you how God answered a prayer for me? And I prayed and this happened. Can I tell you how God worked in my family? I mean, just think those kind of conversations where you're just talking more openly about what Jesus is doing in your life. And that's contagious, isn't it? Like if you're excited about it, um, that's contagious. So just maybe a thought for this week. Just share with someone this week what God did in your life, something God's doing for you, something you're seeing God do at church or uh, anything like that. Uh, it's hard to argue with that. That's your experience, and you can talk more openly about that. So let me pray for us, and then uh, you'll be free to go. Father, we do thank you for the time together tonight. It's been good to be together, and we, uh, we love the church, and we thank you that as you are calling people out, you are gathering together uh, those people in little identifiable groups called the church. We really thank you for that. And 
We thank you that we get to be a part of a group like this. We thank you for our church and what God's doing at Prince. And uh, we just even uh, pray Sunday as we continue to give towards our uh, big offering that Sunday would be a day of great rejoicing and celebration, that we would be able to celebrate what you're doing. We are asking uh, for you to not just have a moment in our church, but uh, to build a monument, that we'd be able to remember the good things that you're doing. I just pray for... Um, every person that's, that's come tonight, that you would give them opportunities as they leave this week to be distinct, to live in a way that is different, uh, to be communicating clearly what you're doing in our lives. And I pray that you would bless those efforts. Father, you'd always bless efforts uh, when we make them to share the gospel. So we pray those efforts would be made and you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. I hey, love you. Love being with you. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday. It's going to be a great day Sunday. Looking forward to it.